Welcome back everyone to the Chip Lunch Podcast. Uh, I am here flying solo as a host because Ethan and Brayden are both on a search for a giant pig slug on schoolies. So nice. <laughs> uh, we'll have to hear about that next week. But um, uh, I'm here and joining me here on the uh, in the third space studio is Anthony. Hey, John. Hello, Anthony. How are you? Yeah, good. I'm well. I think we've had another Anthony on the podcast in Anthony Cell. Anthony Cell, yeah. And I asked him, do you... Uh, do you get called Tony very often? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, not very often, mm. but I did play in a soccer team that had five Tonys in it when I joined. Five? Yep, and so they called me Tony as well. So <laughs> You were the sixth one? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was great. We just It was it was actually a great team to play in, but wow, it was, awesome. um, yeah, there was literally six. T- actually, no, I was the fifth. There was five Tonys. Wow, so almost half the team are Tonys. Yeah, the and field. the goalie and two of the backs of which I was one were Tony. So it's really confusing <laughs> in the box. But <laughs> Tonys? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's hilarious. Exactly. Yeah, um, I don't mind being called Tony. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, the only reason I ask is because my dad's name is Anthony as well. Okay. So, and, uh-huh. But everyone calls him Tony. Uh-huh. So yeah. that's just thought it was an interesting thing. And um, uh, Tony Soprano, is actually, his name is actually Anthony. If you ever watched the show, yes, Sopranos. Yes, <laughs> oh, I haven't watched the show, but yeah, I've seen the ads yeah, okay. a few hundred times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a few hundred times. Wow. <laughs> uh, so you, uh, just before we started recording, you said you'd listened to the Chip Lunch podcast yeah. mm-hmm. a number of times. Any uh, favourite episodes that you've enjoyed so far? Thank you for listening, by the way. Oh, that's, say that first. That's okay. Um, well, funny you should say Anthony Anthony <laughs> Sell. I listened to his um, just recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, it's hard to say I have a favourite, but I, it's very um, interesting to hear people's stories and mm-hmm. just get to know them. Like some of the things, like for example with Anthony, some of the things he said I knew and some of the things I didn't. So it's just getting that that depth. Yeah. Yeah, that, so, yeah, I mean, that's what we're trying to do on Chip Lunch is to hear other people's stories. But what we always like to do when we start the Chip Lunch podcast is, yeah. Anthony, how do you like to eat your hot chips? Oh. Look, um, I like it when everyone goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hot chips, I mean, almost any way. Yeah. Um, but I, I've got a few favourites over the years, but I used to get them from k&m foods in Gaimir. Yeah, it's a popular it's gone spot. yes it's i gone. believe it has so gone. that was pretty tragic so but i, I can eat yeah, hot chips yeah, it would almost any be a staple <laughs> if i if if there wasn't consequences <laughs> hot chips anyway yeah. and do you um uh here's the always a regular question do you prefer plain salt or chicken salt uh yeah look at it, it well, i don't really care wow yeah Either. I'd eat both. That's good. I'm going to take that as a win because there's always a battle between me and Brad and Nathan about whether plain salt or chicken salt. I'm plain salt. So I'll take, we'll take one one. one for each side on that. Have you, have you heard of Homestead Chicken? No. It, it was like a, it was like a New Zealand um, chicken chain like KFC. It took on KFC in the seventies and eighties with its four stores and <laughs> and lost. <laughs> but they had really long, thin, soggy chips, oh. but they had chicken salt on them. Really? So it, it was kind of a big thing back then. You said soggy there. Is that, yeah. Was that an intentional yeah. thing? Yeah, oh, they, they the soggy were soggy. Chips. Oh. Yeah. They, they were nice because of the chicken salt, I think. But, wow. But um, it was weird, yeah. But Homestead doesn't exist anymore, so <laughs> maybe it wasn't very successful. Didn't have the secret... <laughs> Was it 11 herbs and spices? <laughs> no. I think they only had one herb and spice. <laughs> or none. Or none that yeah. way. Depends on the budget. Yeah, yeah. Where was a homestead chicken? I've never seen there, that before. Um, in, in, in the south of Sydney. So, so in the Shire and yeah. in the St George area. There was one where Woolworths is at Caring Bar. Oh, really? It used to be that site yeah. used to have a homestead chicken. I know what you mean. Um, it's 70s, 80s, so they don't exist yeah. anymore. They're before gone. my time, sorry. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> <laughs> so you missed out. <laughs> yeah, I like how you said, I know. <laughs> I know that you are much younger than me. Um, yeah. So the next question that we ask everyone, though, mm. is how did you become a Christian? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So I became a Christian at the start of year 12. Okay. Um, but I look back on that now and I can see that... Um, uh, God was using two different sort of paths in my life to come together um, to bring me to him. And one was uh, my friends in high school all started becoming Christians. So there was about 20 people in my kind of friends group. 
and I think pretty much all of them at least went to church at some right. point in in the eighties. Um, and some some of them became Christians. Probably about half of them mm. became Christians. But I was so I was kind of in that group, but more towards the end of that. Um, so I'll come back to that. But at at the same time, in year nine, um, my parents got divorced. And that was pretty tragic. My mum and my sisters and I left. And um, we, my mum then started taking me every summer holidays to friends of hers who owned a farm in Boutony, Ballina. So every summer holidays I'd go there. And it was kind of like, you know, boy world because they had, there was three sons all my age. And so they had their own cricket pitch. They had their own football posts like oh, nice. on the farm. Yeah. It was a sugarcane farm. Yep. And that was just awesome. But so I loved it, but um, they were all Christians. And so I got to see a family that was Christian and I had to go to church with them. Not that I was particularly interested in going to church, but I got to see that there was something different about them. And so I think that helped me that when my friends asked me along to church, um, yeah, I, 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 I reluctantly went along, but I didn't say no. So, um, yeah, a friend of mine rang me up on, on um, uh, the day before youth group was on and he said, do you want to come? And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and then he actually came and picked me up. If he hadn't have picked me up, I, I wouldn't have gone. Mm. And um, so sometime in that, um, so that was 1985, in, in March of 1985, sometime in that month, I heard the gospel and came to Christ. So. Was it a particular talk or something? I don't think so. It's just, as I said, I can't remember an instant, but it was kind of like a progressive thing over that first month of being in church and going to youth group. Yeah, right. And yeah. I talk about on Two Points, like we have three main questions, but one that keeps always seem to emerging when we ask people about how they become a Christian is mm-hmm. uh, what changed for you after that moment that you did decide to um, mm-hmm. you know, live your life for Jesus? Yeah, I think like I don't think it radically changed my behaviour, but I think it radically changed my motivation for my behaviour and being more uh, outward looking uh, uh, with other people. Mm. So I think I think that that were the main changes initially. I think there's been other things that have changed over the years, and maybe we'll, we'll come back to that as as my faith has grown. But initially. It was it was the motivation behind living living a, a good life, um, but then wanting to to serve Jesus later on more purposefully. Mm. And so at that time, obviously you'd gone through. You, you said you know, divorces. It sounded like it was a pretty difficult situation yeah, for you. Yeah, was it that, was, do you yeah. think that God is putting you in that position with uh, the family up in Ballina to kind of say, "Hey, like I kind of got this sorted for you." Yeah, I think I think there w- it was a um, yeah definitely pur- purposeful yes that but it wasn't I didn't come away from Ballina thinking oh they they were a happy happily married couple and that's mm. the goal of life kind of thing yeah but certainly they were Christian and and um, and I could see that that influenced their family life and but yes I think I think God was kind of saying that. Yeah, it's it's always something that we like. I think we found doing chip lunch is that there's a lot of people, and I would put myself in this category too, mm-hmm. that God's calling to you for a long time before you get them absolutely. The point. Yeah. yeah, and I didn't know, see that obviously until yeah. until I became a Christian yes. and looked back and ah, oh, okay, now the pieces all fit together. Yeah, I remember yeah. the like times just sitting. I, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but. I don't know if I was sitting in my car with my family or something. I must have been about eight or nine and just thinking, oh. And you don't think about it until, like, what you were actually saying in your mind until, like, late, much later on. But, like, oh, there has to be something more than yeah. this. And, uh, and yeah. in a sense, it's like I feel like that is the first time God, is, in a sense, is, was calling to me. I didn't become a Christian until I was 15. Yeah, 15. Okay. Yeah, so I was 17. Yeah. yeah. And I think that it's really fascinating and, but also a really clear indication about how uh, omnipresent, if that's the right word, yep. God is. Yeah. And how and his providence yes. in leading, yeah, in ways that I, like I wouldn't have imagined. Because, yeah, the, the, as, as horrible as it sounds, the divorce probably helped 
me in my mm. Christian walk to bring mm. me to Christ. Mm. So he can use anything. He uses any situation. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. cool. So you're finishing school and you've become a Christian at 17. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's yeah. like church like for you at the time? You said you were going to youth group, but um, mm-hmm. uh, tell me how that kind of finished up and what you, your choices you made around going to church and those kind of things. Because it is a, a really formative time when you, you're just like finishing school and you're like yeah. trying to figure out what you're po- probably going to do with your life and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Look, certainly um, I, I was involved pretty heavily straight away and, and I think within a year I was leading Bible studies and stuff like that. Or a, a couple of years, maybe two years. But... Um, yeah, so I went to St Phil's Caring Bar, became yep. a Christian there, and it was it was great from the point of view that there was a lot of Christians who were my, the same age as me in the same life stage. So basically, a lot of a lot of guys and girls from Caring Bar High or Woolaware High in particular, but we were all at the same life stage. And the the um, youth group at the time was not as big as Solis, but it was probably a hundred and fifty. So there was a lot of people. So it was a good, good-sized youth group, mm. and it was lots of fun. Mm. Um, church was a bit more dry. So I used the, the prayer book, and at the time I was not that keen on the prayer book. And um, but, but the people at St Phil's, the the adults there, the older people were really encouraging and and outward looking. Mm. So it was, it was definitely a family. Mm. Going, yeah. going to St Phil's, did you live in Caringba? Yeah, I lived in I lived in a few different places, but mostly I was born in Caringbar, and at the time of becoming Christian, I was living in Tarrant Point. So oh, okay, there's yeah. not, it's not a huge area to live in Tarrant Point. No, is it? no, there's like two streets. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you, so you've just kind of bounced around the Shire for most a, of your, a your childhood. Bit, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then so if you hang out at church, what was the other plan in terms of? You know, the other question is kind of like, what did you want to do for work or a career? Yeah. Yeah, well, even like going to uni, uh, like I went to, you know, in year 12 you have the, the, the careers advisor. Yeah. So I went to the careers advisor and they've got all these uh, books on what sort of careers you can do. So I had to look through some of those and I went, oh, okay, I think I should be a research librarian. That's what I came <laughs> up with. And so I went to my careers advisor and told her, told her that. And she said, do you know anyone who's a, career, who's a research librarian? I said, no. Do you know any jobs for research librarians? I said, no. And she said, well, maybe you shouldn't be a research librarian. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> and so really at high school, the only subject I, I really liked was maths. So mm-hmm. I just did a, um, a degree that involved maths. So that was there was no future plan beyond just seeing what happened after mm. doing. So I went to UNSW yep. um, and studied um, bach- Bachelor of Science there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Bachelor of Science? Yeah. Not maths? Ma- majoring no, in maths. Majoring in maths. Okay, yeah. cool. So yeah. un- careers advisors are kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> you go when there's something you want to do and you're like, no, don't do that. You're yeah. like, I don't know yeah. if that's advice. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think she was wrong. Like I think <laughs> I would have made a good re- – I'm really – I'm a good researcher. Yep. The librarian bit was just the only thing I found with research in the title, I think. I don't know. <laughs> but but um, I think it would have worked out. So I don't think I was wrong, but she was pragmatic. And, you know, so there was plenty of jobs mm. for me when I finished. I finished uh, uh, the, uh, careers of, uh, our school careers advisor told my wife, uh, well, you're not really going to amount to anything. So you should just like Gosh. find an admin job or something like that. Oh, really? It was something, I might, I might be putting oh, words goodness. in her mouth, but it was something like that. Are you going to have to edit that out of the video? No. <laughs> <laughs> you can deal with it. Um, that was a bit, wow. just, yeah, it's not really good advice again. Not compassionate. No, or like my wife's an excellent school teacher and has a three degrees. Yeah, so, <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. 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 So so maybe the moral is don't listen to your career <laughs> yeah. advice. Or take it with a do, pinch of do salt. Do what you think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I, th- I think that's interesting that we it's interesting how we tell everyone or you can be what's well, a it's a narrative of you can be whatever you want to be, but mm. you're like, oh, I'll be a research librarian. You're like, yeah. oh you can't do that. No, you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I fell for that and yeah. went into and did maths. Yeah. So and what's it like doing maths and science? And did you enjoy it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did, I did enjoy it. Um, I, like I tried in first year, I did 
you know, a lot of different science subjects like chemistry and physics and even did geography, uh, maths, of course, and, and a bit of computing. So I kind of tried a bit of everything in first year and then mm. ended up deciding to go with maths, which is what I thought I'd do, but... Mm. And yeah. was there like kind of any career prospects around that? I had no idea. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was like, I, just, I like maths. I like maths. I'll do that and see what happens. Yeah. yeah. And the same thing happened when I, like, when I entered the workforce. I just applied for every job that I seemed qualified for. Mm. So I didn't have a plan beyond that. <laughs> right. Which one did you end up getting? Then? I ended up um, getting a job with uh, NRMA mm. in their insurance area. Oh, a bit of like actuarials. Ac- yeah, I worked with actuaries. So right. I wasn't an actuary, but yeah, I worked with them. Now tell me yeah. what that's like, because it sounds like it's really highly detailed work, but also to me, sounds yeah. quite boring. <laughs> <laughs> Some Yeah, you're probably right sometimes, but no, it was... Um, my first job there was a little bit like that, but after I sort of found my feet and my second job with NRMA was um, in their research department. Oh, so, there it is. And that was awesome because, again, it was – there was – when I – there there was 27 people there when I started and they were all, like, sort of around 25. And so – and everyone there was into sport, like touch football and cricket, which are the sports I liked. So yeah. it was a – great time but in terms of the work it's um yeah it was it's it's building models basically Mm. and so like mostly what we did was pricing so how do you it was determining risk so what's the what's the reasons why a car has an accident or a house burns down or Mm, or a car gets stolen a car gets stolen yeah so i ended up moving more and more towards home insurance Mm -hmm. and researching um, uh, like weather events. So storms and bushfires and floods. And that became my career, basically. So 90% of my life's been involved in working lives in that sort of thing. Okay. So tell me why though research, you like research so much. Yeah, I think just trying to understand why something is what it is and... and, Yeah, the reasons behind it. The reasons behind it and Mm -hmm. then... Um, I think with the mathematical bent, you can, you can, you can come up with something that, that there's evidence for usually like you have to be, you often have to be pragmatic, yeah. but that's the kind of the, the pinnacle is to actually come up with a, with a model that actually matches mm-hmm. the evidence. Well, it's interesting because like economics is kind of similar. Similar. Too, yeah. It? It's the same idea, just in a different field, really yeah. a, a lot of it. Yeah. And so do you get like fired up when someone's like, we need to find out these huge reasons. You're like, that's a huge amount of work, but I'm ready to get into it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's, it's not, yeah. If it's, I get, yeah, if it's not that daunting. Like it's interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, you also mentioned that you're into footy and, mm-hmm. and cricket. Who's your favorite cricketer of all time? Oh, of all time. Gee. Um, trying to think. So many, so many I like. Um, you talking Australians or are we talking world, uh, worldwide? I, I, I'd probably be be. Um, um, I like Mike Hussey. Is kind of he's kind of awesome. I feel like he's a bit of a cricketer researcher. Don't they call him Mister Cricket? Yeah, Mister yeah. Cricket. So he's yeah. So cricket stats stats heaven, but he just like I think epitomizes like his character and mm. the way he batted was just awesome. Yeah. So, but yeah. entered the Australian cricket team at a reasonably late stage as yes. well, isn't it? Yep, he did. Which he is did. fascinating for how good he was that it took so long for him to get into. Yeah, the well, team. it was a really strong team. It was I right think, at the time, yeah. and but perfect for him to mm. get in, and he was straight away he was um, adding value. Oh, yeah, so. I feel like he uh, increased the dominance of that team yep. rather than yep. – because they were always just trying to – like, correct me if I'm wrong, they were always trying to find someone for that middle order. Yep. And they, they, they cycled through a few fair few people, but then they brought Fiona and, and – his gold. Yeah, yeah, they didn't they look back after <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, so I think Mr. Cricket, yeah. Mr. Yeah, cricket. Like um, what about now? Are you still following the cricket, the Australian cricket team now? Yeah, 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 I still I, – I, I probably really only watch Test cricket, pretty oh, much. What's um, that? Oh, I like I like the. I'm not a chess player, but I like the the strategy yeah, and I like that too, the, the complexity. Cricket. And I think although it can be like watching the grass grow at times, <laughs> usually it's moving towards something. Yeah, it is. So, it's always building towards so, a wicket or yeah, 
yeah. And and then there's moments of like you know three wickets in bowling getting three wickets in one over like mm. so it, it's got both. Uh, final yeah. question on cricket. Yeah. Just a, um, do you think 2020 is ruining the game? No, no, I don't think it's ruining the game. Um, it, I think it, yeah, it just needs balance because the more you play 2020 cricket, the less focus there is on building building an innings mm. so you can bat all day. Yep. So, but I think I think what will happen is you'll have it, experts in both, so yeah. they'll end up di- diverging. It seems to be going that way a little bit already, yeah. right? Like a, it's unlikely that Glenn Maxwell will make it into the test team. Yeah, although we'll see what happens with England. They're taking a real... Like, they scored 500 in a day in Did Pakistan. They? Did they really? Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. So they're bringing their 2020 skills into the test arena, That's which you see quite often these days. But yeah, with, like, different shots and yes, things like that. But, yeah, yeah and yeah. That, but then, like, it's also easier to throw your wicket away in 2020, where in Absolutely. test cricket that doesn't work, right? That's right. That's right. Mm. So it's getting that balance. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on from the cricket because right. some people might be getting pretty bored yeah, listening to this. Sorry, sorry if you've turned off. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so you're at NRMA, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. doing research, enjoying mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. What's your, like, how are you um, kind of growing as a Christian from that time of finishing mm. finishing school? And then I'm, I'm guessing you're probably around 23, 24, around that age. Mm-hmm. What's the difference in growing in that stage? And Yeah. Yeah, well, I think, um, I think I felt at the time, like going back to university, I think that was really foundational for me. Mm. Um, so... Most of my friends who were doing Bachelor of Science and things like that, because a lot of my friends were analytical as well in high school, but they all went to Sydney. And I chose to go to UNSW. And um, so in going there, um, what I did find was the, was the real benefit for me was a really strong Christian focus. So you had Philip Jensen there at the time teaching, and I know a lot of people find him abrasive, um, and there's some truth in that, mm-hmm. but the quality, the foundation that I was given in, in the teaching I got there and, and leading on to like um, biblical theology and looking at, at the Bible as a whole book rather yep. than a, a mixture of books that mm-hmm. don't necessarily relate to each other. So seeing that narrative throughout the whole Bible, that, that was critical for the foundation for my development as a Christian. Because that's yeah. a big thing at Union New South Wales, isn't it? They have a really yeah, strong Christian yeah, strong group. strong Christian group there. Is that, what do, what's it called? I know there's a name for it. Um, it? I'm just trying to think of the right name. <laughs> <laughs> the Christian group. <laughs> yeah, the Christian group. Gosh, you've stumped me there. TCG? No, <laughs> the Christian group. Oh, I can't remember now. That's all right. Anyway, it's a long time ago. So you're obviously engaging that a lot. At yeah, university. and you go to the, each, um, the, each, the middle of each year, you'd go on a, cro- a week conference as well. So, yep. so that was all that, all that um, was really mm. foundational for me. Yeah. And a lot of people that we've talked about on Chip Lunch is we talk about university quite a lot. It was an episode that Braden and Ethan and I did a long time ago, and how we actually said we were so. When we were at university, we were so into doing youth and stuff that we didn't uh, spend a lot of time at the in terms of the Christian groups. Yeah. But then there's also other people that said that, like yourself, that going into uh, or being able to experience university within a Christian group was like really, really formative, and it sounds like it was like that for you. Yeah. What did it look like? How did that change? What? How did it change your thinking in terms of you talking about biblical theology and really yeah. strong teaching? Uh-huh. Was that because it, it filled a gap that you or an understanding that you don't didn't think you had at the time? Oh, definitely. Like um, certainly, the the biblical theology was like a light bulb moment for mm. me that I said, "Oh, the whole Bible kind of it all fits together. It all kind of makes sense, yeah. and it's it's one story." Can you remember the light bulb moment? Where Pretty much, like, very much. Yeah, what yeah. was it? I, I like just I I did a course um, on like it was like a I think it was like a ten week course on biblical theology, and I just went, oh, like it it the Bible does flow. It's not like you know the, the Exodus does point to Jesus in in different ways, okay. and you just go, oh, hang on, I never really thought about that, mm. and so. Uh, but back on your question about uni versus um, um, church 
church um, youth groups. Yep. Like I was involved in both. And I think that the difference for me is at uni, um, I think that was foundational teaching-wise. Mm. Um, the local church youth group was foundational relationally-wise. Interesting. So I made a lot, a lot of good friends through church, local church. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and it's not that both did overlap, but yeah. to say it simplistically, yeah. that was the difference, I think. And why... I was just thinking, like, back if church was so important for you mm. relationally, was mm. there particular relationships that really were formative for you at that time as well? Yeah, I think, I think a, like, a peer group of people mm. my own age mm. that, you know, similar values, similar... Um, and, but we just we just had fun together. A similar like yeah. similar life. Like I'm guessing a lot of them were at university anyway. Yeah, a lot of them were not all of them, but yeah, a lot of them were at university. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah similar life stage. So yeah. then let's if we go because we kind of went back to university. But then mm. you're at NRMA. Yep. Mm-hmm. What kind of happened next for you, or yeah. that you remember? Because. I mean, at some point we're going to start talking about Ethiopia, which uh-huh. has been a big part of, of your life. Yep. But I didn't, I'm trying to put all the pieces together. Yeah. And also, obviously, yeah. meeting your wife, Trudy. Yeah. As well. So, where, did, where does that all fit together? What order? Okay. So, I met, met Trudy at St. Phil's. Okay. Um, basically, in, in, we were in the same uh, Bible study group. So, I met her there, mm-hmm. and, and we had the same friendship group. Um, so she she was not from she was from Kiriwee High. So there there were a few people from Kiriwee High, but most people were more from Karimbar or Woolwich. So she didn't know a lot of people, but got along with my friendship group really well and fitted in basically straight away. Mm-hmm. So so we we started going out a couple of years after we met mm-hmm. and and uh, got married in in ninety one. Okay. So, yeah. Cool. So yeah, we went out. I think it was four and a half years we we went out for. So there you go. Have you got so. an exciting uh, proposal story? Oh gosh, no! I've got a terrible proposal story. <laughs> but let's yeah. hear it. Yeah. So so um, yeah. Trudy wanted to get get married earlier than me. I wanted to like actually have some money. So <laughs> I wanted to work for a couple of years and get some money. Um, and so finally I decided, okay, no, I'll, we'll, I'll get married. And I worked out this plan, which then all fell apart. But uh, <laughs> we still got married, so that was good. <laughs> the, main, the main thing worked. But yeah. um, the plan was basically we'd go out and have a nice dinner. And so we argued, so that was not good. And then the next part of the plan was to go back to St Phil's and I was going to propose to her where we first met, which was actually up the front of St Phil's in a... That's where our Bible study <laughs> met at the front of the church. So I was going to propose to her there, yeah. and so I I went in on the um, the lie basically that I was going to go and get um, the Bible studies for next week. Mm-hmm. That, that's where you got them from in the church. And yeah. so I went in and I went, oh no! And there was like this retired choir practicing <laughs> up the front, and I thought the last thing I want to do is propose <laughs> um, in front of them. Yeah. And so, and it was pouring with rain and I had a um, Holden Premier at the time mm-hmm. and my car leaked. So Trudy's, <laughs> Trudy's um, sitting in the car the waiting for me with her, with her feet um, <coughs> up on the dash so they didn't get wet. And I um, come back and I say, will you marry me? So I was so, I was so just... Nothing had worked that night. And yeah. so, so, yeah, so she... You could have played off the choir and said, oh, I've got this ready for you. Like, this is for I, you, darling. I could have, but, yeah, no, my, all my plans were destroyed <laughs> and my backup plan was non-existent. So, yeah. <laughs> but she said yes, so that was good. What did you argue about at dinner? I can't remember. Oh, it was okay. nothing important. It was just... <laughs> we probably just... It was just a long day and we were probably both annoyed about yep. something. And then, yeah. just, and then she said, "Did you even get the Bible studies?" Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I did. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah, so it worked out in the end. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then so you get married, and did you mm. move just to say stay within the shire? Yeah, we lived at Cronulla um, for a couple of years until we saved for a deposit, and then we bought a unit in Carringbar. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. cool. Um, yeah. And then so back to your question. Yes. So your question was. 
Um, oh, where did everything fit? Where did everything yeah. fit? Yeah, so when, what really, I guess, my next sort of step in my journey. So I was involved in youth group and leading small groups and um, and at St. Phil's and, and that sort of thing. And But I really wanted to check out what does God want to do with my life? Mm. And I thought maybe, I didn't think he did, but I thought maybe he wants me to be an Anglican minister. So I thought I'll check. I should check that out. So in two thousand, I um, I went to my boss at NRMA and said, "Look, I want to I want to um, actually go and um, study the Bible for a year. Um, so I'm going to have to resign." And he was a, he was a nominal Buddhist. My boss, mm, he was really? a, a Malaysian guy, and mm-hmm. um, he said, "Look, give me some time to think about this." Don't resign straight away. And I said, yeah, that's cool. I've got plenty of time. I was just giving you a heads up. Yep. And um, so, because I, I didn't have, a, I didn't feel I had enough money without resigning because I needed some of my super. Because I had a more, we had a mortgage at the time and needed that money to get us through the year because I wasn't going to be working. Yep. So anyway, he comes back and said, yep, yep, I've negotiated with the NRMA a, a loan for you. And I went, what? Like, a loan? Yeah, so he, he negotiated a loan for me so I could go to Bible study. And he's a, he's a nominal Buddhist. So, wow. Um, he just liked people doing what they wanted to do. Mm. So he really encouraged that. So the loan would cover you, obviously, for not being yeah, able to work. And, and they'd keep my job open for me. Really? For, yeah, so, so 10 months I had off work. How good that? It was awesome, yeah. And that was a fantastic year in... Um, um, many ways. Uh, so I studied, studied the Bible for a year and Trudy did a little bit and looked after that. We had two, two kids, Matt and Sarah, at that time. Uh, and, oh, another amazing story, sorry, with that is oh, Matt was in childcare at the time and um, childcare places were really hard to get, a bit like they are now, and there was a waiting list of about 18 months. But Trudy thought if she could get Sarah into childcare then Trudy could go and study as well for at least a day. Mm-hmm. So we thought, yeah, that's a good idea. Give them a ring, see what happens. So they rang them, she rang them up and they said, yeah, no worries, Sarah's got a place. And we went, great. <laughs> and then about a week later they rang back and said, oh, excuse me, um, you haven't lost Sarah's place, but how did you get her place? And we're going, what do you mean? Well, they said, well, there's an 18-month waiting list and you've jumped the queue. And we'll, you just said we could have a place. So, <laughs> so, so that meant Trudy could study as well. Wow. And um, so, yeah, spent the year thinking through, should I become an Anglican minister? And at the end of that year, I went, nah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it didn't, it, it's not that I expected, I actually didn't expect to come out wanting to be an Anglican minister anyway, mm. but I, I uh, yeah. But what did happen, and you wanting to get to the link with Ethiopia, is oh. this is where it sort of started mm-hmm. in that year. Sounds like God's, God's making things happen here. Absolutely. Mm. This is in 2000. And um, um, these two guys went over to Nigeria, and, and the two students at the college, and they taught um, the Bible in Nigeria. And they came back and presented on that. And so I'm watching, I'm with a, sitting next to a mate of mine, and we both turned to each other and we said, well, we could do that. And so we decided, yeah, okay, we'll do that. Mm -hmm. So we went to go and teach the Bible in Nigeria. But in the year that we were about to go, in the... um, at the the back of the compound we were going to teach the Bible in, um, it was the the year of the Miss World pageant Mm. in Nigeria. Oh, is that why you were going? That's why we were going. No, actually, because if you know anything about Nigeria, (laughs) you've got Muslims and Christians. It's like the front line of um of Africa in the in the the north of Africa being Muslim and the south being predominantly Christian. Mm. That's the front line is Nigeria. And so there's lots of riots over the Miss World competition. And there was a whole bunch of people killed at the back door of the compound we were going to. So we pulled out of yep. going to Nigeria. Okay. And we ended up going to India instead. Mm-hmm. So with him and, and some other, other friends, we ended up going and teaching the Bible in India. Um, I think I went three times. And, um, yeah, just taught biblical theology primarily. What's that um, experience like, though? Oh, it was awesome. I yeah. loved it. Yeah, yeah just... Um, yeah, the sights and sounds and smells of India. 
um, yeah, it was, I, I loved it. Because yeah. it's so different. Yeah, so different. And yeah. are you teaching English? Teaching in English with translators. You had an interpreter. Yeah. yeah, some people there could understand English, but most couldn't. Yeah. What's the, tell me about the reaction to teaching the, the gospel or teaching the Bible in a, a completely different country. Yeah, yeah. So for them or for me? Was oh, either. Either. Yeah, let's do both. Um, oh, for them, it was an opportunity to get some kind of training. So a lot of Indian pastors, we taught mostly pastors, um, but they don't necessarily get a lot of training because either financial reasons mm. or a lack of opportunity. So we were teaching people who were leading churches. So that was, from their point of view, it was exciting. So we'd teach groups of you know 50 to 100 mm. um, for about a week at a time and do that in a few different places in India. Mm. So we got to see quite a lot of India. Um, but it was exciting for me to have the opportunity to teach people who were actually going to use what you taught in their ministry so that was awesome and yeah. given that you you took the time like you took the time off to study mm-hmm. and then you realized you didn't want to be a minister mm. but do you think like god's like this is what you should be doing i think that's what i thought yeah yeah that's right and so so yeah that that kind of in my 30s stage like we had a mortgage and i had a good job and had three kids um around then and but I, I always thought, I've always kept being wanting to be challenged by what does God want me to do with my life. So they were all good things, and and we 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 served in our church. Um, we we were involved in youth group and Bible, leading Bible studies. Mm. And, but yeah, it was always. But what does God want me to do? Was kind of the mantra of our thirties in particular. I was just going to ask you though. That that's really interesting. Why do you think that was the mantra? I think I think because I, I was always thinking, um, uh, I guess was the was this standard Southern Shire life even as a Christian was that what God wanted me to do ultimately was there more to it than that or was or was that that what he what he wanted me to do okay. were you so. a bit disaffected with what you were seeing uh, somewhat but just more just open to being challenged to is is there something else that he wants me to do mm. or wants us to do really mm. both of us yeah and before we continue on that journey of going to different countries mm. you mentioned you had three kids yes like, tell us what it's like for you being a dad and, and what you've enjoyed about it and what you found hard and yeah, yeah and what god's taught you being a dad yeah yeah oh look lots lots of things lots of patience um now my kids are awesome and so it's i think you you like we talked about sport before and you see um you know, celebrity sports people um, interviewed and quite often they say, but my kids are my greatest achievement in life. And and I think that's um, having the, the privilege of bringing up someone who has some similarity to you in character or appearance or sometimes neither, but usually, you know, there's an affinity there and it's just an awesome um, opportunity to, you know, I've got... Matt, Sarah and Anna, so we, we've had three children, which, which has just been awesome to be involved in their lives and see them grow as people and um, see them develop and, and being able to see the, the next stage, you know, what are they going to do next? It's, yeah. it's always exciting. I'm always like, privilege. like with my kids. I'm always like, I can't wait to see them get to the next stage. Uh, but then I don't want them to grow up at the same time. Absolutely. They grow up too fast. Oh, too That's fast. certainly something I've learned. Um, suddenly, yeah, I mean, we've, we've, we still live with Anna, but... The other two are, have moved out and, mm. and, and that's, yeah, that's a challenge and it's ironic because we've always taught them to be independent but when Matt moved out, so he was the first one to move out mm. when he got married, um, we went, oh, we're not ready. We're not ready for yeah. him to move out. Don't go. <laughs> Don't go. Yeah. But, you know, no, he got married and he married a lovely wife and, and that, was, that was great but we weren't ready. Yeah. <laughs> but we'd always taught our kids to be independent. So it's kind yeah. of ironic. Are you never ready for them to move to that next stage? Or no. I remember being really upset and like just not upset in terms of like that one my son had like just maybe reached a milestone or showing he was he was had developed into something something different from what he was. Mm-hmm. And then just being really sad about it. Because no, okay. I'm like and I think probably because Leo, my son, was uh his how first that you're like oh he actually will move on from this stage that like i've been so used to yeah i found i I find that i think that's the thing 
in terms of kids, that's the thing I find hardest growing up is that them, sorry, the fun, thing I find hardest is them growing up um, and like maybe even worried that I'll forget the previous stage. Yeah, okay. But uh-huh. um, who knows, we're, we're talking about you, Anthony, not, <laughs> not, not, oh, not we my talk life. about you, John. <laughs> no, please, any questions for me? <laughs> um, so... Where do we where do we go from here? So you you mm. you been to you were meant to go to Nigeria. Yep. You went ended to, up in India. Ended up in India. Yep. You did that three times. Well, I did that. I personally, I went three times. But um, Ken, my fr- my mate, and I, we actually set up an organisation to to uh, train and set up teams to go and train in Ethiopia. Which, uh, sorry, in India, which is still going. So. So we ended up having a board and having um, this this training, um, um, like a non-profit kind of setup. yeah, an, yep. an association. Yeah, and one day I looked I looked around the the board. I was part of the board because I was one of the founding the two founding members, and I was the only non-ordained person on oh. the board. And I went, hmm, I think they don't need me <laughs> anymore. Um, so yeah, so that's that was part of the part of the move away from India but at the same time um, our church at the time started um, sponsoring um, children through compassion yep and it turned out that most of the children our church sponsored were um, from Ethiopia and most of those children were from the one location in Ethiopia right so that's um, where Ethiopia got introduced in, in my life, but where I got involved was at that location was a small Bible school of about 20 students. And they and some people from, this was at Karimbar Baptist actually, we were there at the time. Um, they, um, a few people went over to Ethiopia to check out the compassion um, situation. And then they came back and said, hey, Anthony, they, they want people to go over and teach the Bible in their Bible school. Would you like to go? And I said, yeah, I'll, okay. And that's when kind of I saw that India doesn't really need me anymore, that the teams were being created without my involvement and being trained. And I went, and yeah, it's like time, a, time to move on. Yeah, time to move on, new opportunity, yeah. 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 How does, just before we get into the, into the, the mm. detail of Ethiopia, how does mm. it work when if you're working and then you have to go over mm-hmm. and teach for a week or so, mm-hmm. do you just take annual leave? Annual you, leave, yeah. yeah. So most of my annual leave has been spent. Oh, you're going on a holiday. You're like, oh, not really. Well, th- this is actually the next turning point. Okay. So I'd been to India three times in, I think it was three or four years. So I hadn't really had a holiday. Mm. And so I demanded of God, I said, I'm going to go to Ethiopia but I'm going to have a holiday with my family this year and I'll go the following year. Mm, always goes well when we demand things. Yeah, it, it didn't go very well. <laughs> it's, um, it's a bit like the the um, marriage story, the proposal story. It all fell apart. <laughs> there was no but choir though. No, no choir, <laughs> thank goodness. Um, but no, so I, I, I did. I demanded of God a, a year off. And um, anyway, sometime after my stupid demand, I rang up. Um, Trudy and I said I really need to go to this Bible talk tonight and she goes yeah that's cool I go no no you don't understand I really need to go and she said that's fine what's it on and I go I don't know but I have to go Mm. and so I just had this feeling this I was just drawn I had to go to this talk anyway I went along to the talk and and um, I looked at the agenda then when I got there and I went, why am I here? Like this just seemed completely, you know, I was pretty disinterested. And I was sitting next to a girl that I knew from the India trips. Uh, so, yeah. And so anyway, the, the first talk was on issues in the Anglican church. And it was on um, in, the, in America they'd been ordaining gay bishops and things like that. And... Look, I, I'm I'm not pro doing that, but I wasn't particularly interested in mm. that as a topic. So mm-hmm. I'm going, God, why am I here? And so they started talking about that, but then the talk changed and it, it um, went on to what was good about the Anglican Church and what was, um, and they said the Anglican Church is growing in in Africa and in, in Asia, and that's a really good thing. And I went, yeah, that's a good thing, but I, I didn't have any, you know, emotional 
change. I just mm-hmm. went, yeah, that's a good thing. Still don't know why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And then they said, and we need um, people to go over and teach the Bible in Africa. And I'm going, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> like, I'm going to do that. So, you know, you don't have to tell me that kind of thing. <laughs> anyway, and then, then he emphasised it again and he said, we need people like this to go and teach the Bible. And they put up a photo and I was in the photo. <laughs> and so I went, okay, God, I get the message. All I'm right, a bit man. slow on the uptake. <laughs> so, okay, I'll go. And so basically I organised it as soon as I can and, and went over and taught in Ethiopia. Mm. And how long was that for, that first Oh, one? that was two weeks. Just okay. two weeks in and out. Um, taught one week and one week was just having a look around. Mm. Yeah. What's it, um, I mean, I've never been to Ethiopia. What's it like? What's it like as a country? Yeah, look, it's it's really diverse. Um, there's you know 83 different tribes. Um, it's mostly ru- it's mostly rural, like 85 percent rural. Okay. So Addis Addis Ababa is the capital, which is about the same size as Sydney, but the next biggest city would be like maybe one million people. So there's just people everywhere throughout the countryside. So. And then, but then you've got the issues of poverty, um, uh, the issues of war. So I'm I'm 54, and there's been three civil wars in Ethiopia in really? my lifetime. And what's so. that usually based on the civil war? Um, Is it religion or it, uh, a mixture of reasons? Actually, mm. the 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 most recent one, which is currently happening, like almost over, um, is is um, tribal, mm-hmm. um, not religious. Uh, the one before that was about um, removing the communists and the one before that was the communists taking over. So in the 70s it was communism. Um, and in, interestingly enough, what happened was the um, emperor, Haile Selassie, wanted to educate his people, so brought in a lot of people to... Um, so universities really grew over that period and a lot of people went overseas for an education. A lot of people were trained by Americans, but they were trained by communist-leaning Americans. And so when they grew up and became um, got jobs and stuff, they actually wanted to have a communist country. Right. And so then they, that's what happened. They ended up taking over the, um, the country. Um, and for, through yeah communism, so it became a communist country for about twenty years. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's a crazy place, Ethiopia. Some unin- <laughs> some unintended consequences there from the ki- for the emperor. Sorry, emperor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he yeah he he got killed. So yeah, it was just a it massive. Uh, what is it? A coup? It yeah, a, big, big a, a, a coup by the army, but led by uh, t- but to become a communist state. So obviously with backing from uh, mostly from Russia at the time, but mm. um, yeah. Yeah, pretty bloody cute, cute coup, coup, coup. Uh, <laughs> and cute. yeah, went on for the next twenty years was pretty really? pretty bad. Yeah. So you went over there for two weeks the first time, mm-hmm. but you spent a lot longer time over there. Yeah. After mm-hmm. that, how did you get to that point of being over there for a number of months? Right. Yeah, a number, a number, of, like, yeah, we we tend to go short term but regularly. Mm. So every year for a few weeks. So. But it was the second trip was the turning point. So the first trip was just kind of dip your toe in and and look around a little bit. Mm. But the second trip, and again, you may have gathered I'm I'm a researcher, I'm analytical, I'm mathematical, so I don't make decisions fast and I like things okay. planned. And yep. well, while I was on the first trip. I, I said in an email back to a whole bunch of people, including Trudy, when we come back as a family, um, blah, 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 blah. And Trudy, like, Trudy's always wanted to be a missionary. I've never wanted to be a missionary. So it's quite ironic that I mm. was the one who ended up going overseas first as a missionary, uh, overseas missionary anyway. And, um, yeah, and so... so I kind of just presumed that she'd want to come without asking her, which was awful. Please don't do that. Bad mistake. But, yeah, she went with it. And and so we spent the next um, sort of 12 months um, uh, talking to our kids about it and planning what, what we'd do. 
And um, but the main thing, Matt at the time was about thirteen, and so we really wanted him to want to go. So we basically decided the girls were too young, so we just thought that they're coming. But Matt, we went well. He needs to want to come, and we won't go unless he wants to come. So he finally, just one day, he we went to actually to CMS summer school, and after that, he came on the way home. He said, "Mum and Dad, I'm happy if we go." So Trudy and I were like booking flights like the next day, kind yeah. of thing. So, um, and I took my long service leave on that trip. So we were in Ethiopia for ten weeks, right? And, and that trip, and yeah. that was the the. Um, was the real foundation in our ministry because on that trip we met a whole bunch of key people that we became friends with. Okay, right. And how do you get to Ethiopia? Do you fly to the Middle East and then fly into... Yeah, you can go to Dubai, via yeah. Dubai. There's, there's, only, there's a, only a few simple paths. Um, <laughs> you can go via Bangkok or Singapore oh, okay. or Hong Kong or Dubai. Or you can go by um, Johannesburg as well, but that's longer. Oh, is it? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. What impact do you think going to Ethiopia, and especially taking your family for the first time, what do you think, how do you think it impacted your kids? Oh, greatly, Mm. greatly. Um, Yeah, giving some context to my answer, um, before we went, we we watched this documentary on an American family that went and stayed in a village in Kenya. Mm. And... um, they had um, kids and um, at the end of watching that, it was just on their experiences in, in this village in Kenya and eating weird food and going through all the cultural experiences that you can imagine. Yep. And anyway, at the end of that, so I said to Anna and Sarah, oh, sorry, I said to, said to the three of them, like, wherever we go, we're going to be the centre of attention. So Anna, if you know anything about Anna, she went, centre of attention, yes, the best. yes, yes, this is the best thing that could possibly happen. <laughs> and Sarah, centre of attention, no, no, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. And um, so when you talk about the impact um, on, on each of them, um, so Sarah culturally fits in perfectly with Ethiopian women. She's just like a born, no precious air, born a missionary to Ethiopia. Um, they love her. She did her university internship in Ethiopia. Mm. Um, they adore her, her character and the way she fitted in there. Um, Anna, um, with her, she, she spent longer in Ethiopia than I have because Trudy goes usually for months. I usually go for weeks each year. So it's quite I'm, – I'm the one who's probably been, you know, much less than Sarah and Anna and Trudy in the family. Um, so – um, yeah, but for, for Anna, I think it's, it's developed um, that ability to, to um, understand other cultures and become part of other cultures. And, and she's very, very um, um, can fit into, you know, unusual situations yep. and make the most of it. Yeah, right. Yeah, with Matt, he's, he's been twice. And, and I think, again, it's shaped him... Um, in terms of being out, outward looking and, and just getting a global perspective on the world, mm. but also on the Christian world as well. Well, it sounds like you very much uh, open your very much open your eyes, and what you're saying is is this the Shire lifestyle, the thing that I want to that God wants where God wants me to be, and He's like, mm. no, check this out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and look, it's it's certainly not for everyone, and I think the key thing is is to be continually asking yourself what does god want me to do with my life and that might be and it's it's not wrong to to serve in the local church and mm. and have a um a life in the shire i'm not saying that by any means we're all on mission somewhere we're all right? on mission somewhere it's it's about being faithful in doing whatever mm. that might be mm. but for me um god led me there and as i said i had never had any desire to be a missionary you know when i went and studied the bible for a year I never even considered being a missionary. It was all about maybe I should be a minister. Mm. So it's not like I had this grand plan <laughs> that all well, came together. It's similar to even what you're saying with uni. You're just like, yeah. well, I'll just do maths. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's that's the situation. Yeah. Tell us, I mean, I mean, 
probably coming towards the end of where we say we wrap up the chips though. But mm-hmm. I've got probably two questions for you. Mm-hmm. What, um, why did you choose to come to Soul Revival? Mm-hmm. That's one. Mm-hmm. That's one question. And then I'll, yep. I'll ask the next one after that. Yeah. So Soul is. Um, so we came. I think one year after it started as a church, yeah, something like that. I so think, we were yeah. in Pack for a year. So yeah. I think it was about one year. So I might be wrong, but it was, I think it was about that. The reason we came, um, uh, well, we had had some difficulties at our previous church, um, but what attracted us to Solis is Trudy went to high school with Stu. They were in the same year. They were basically, um, um, I, I guess they were probably the on- two of the only few Christians in their year at school. So there was a great affinity there between them and mm-hmm. I also became friends with with Stu and Lou as a result of that right so there was already a a connection with Solis um but even beyond that I think it was just the idea of a church plant and and I could see um I I I guess I was sold on the vision of where Solis might head and you experienced doing missionary work did that kind of fold into that because you're like church planning Somewhat, yeah, yeah. I think, like, yes, the the, the church planting um, strategies might be different in in the the different places, but the ultimate goal is the same. Mm. So, yeah, so that, I mean, this is the first church I've been in that really, really focuses hard on church planting, mm. like um, you know, building other gatherings. So I've been to other churches that have started other gatherings, but it's usually only been one in 10 years kind of thing. But yeah, this okay. is a, a real difference about Solis, I think. Or there's, I think there's two main differences about Solis to many other churches, and, and one is a um, that outward-looking church planting focus, which mm. I love, and but also the... Uh, it's. All churches have a relational focus, but Solis really works, I think, harder than some other churches about building that relational focus so that people will want to come and get to know each mm. other. And I think a relational focus is key to church planting and key to, I think that's what God uses as his method to bring people to him. Why are those two things appealing to you, the church planting and relational thing? Like, Where does that um, basis of your opinion and thought come from? Yeah, I'll... I mean, ultimately, my desire is for as many people to be in heaven as possible. So it's as simple as that, really. And I think, as I say, I think God... Look, sometimes I just think it's, why has he done this? Because it doesn't make any sense to me. But he's chosen to use us to bring people to him. And I look at what I'm like and I go, that's a really dumb plan, God. But (laughs) it seems to be what he's what he loves doing yeah. he loves involving us so you know most people that become christian they become christian through relationship yeah there's not many people who pick up a bible reader and go oh i'm, a, I'm i believe that i'm a christian mm. some do mm. but most i think it's through a, another person mm. telling them the gospel bringing them to church encouraging them praying for them has your work in places like india and ethiopia influenced how you do that like, what have you learned from doing that when you come back to Australia? Like, I could do this a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, certainly, certainly it keeps you um, engaged in trying to be outwardly focused. So, so, so there, there is, in that sense, there's no difference whether you're, whether you're living in the Shire or living in Ethiopia. Um, I think God wants you to be yeah, outward focused to look at, opportunities to speak to other people to Mm. build relationships with other people and i'm not very good at that really to be quite honest so it's always that challenge to Mm. you know um yeah how how you can encourage and build other people up Mm. or ask people along to church or that sort of thing so so i think Solis has been attractive for that because i think it does that pretty well yeah i just thought of something about um uh, Ethiopia again. What's your favourite Ethiopian dish? Because I've heard that Ethiopian <laughs> food is quite um, unique. It's definitely unique. Um, look, I <laughs> I like lots of Ethiopian dishes, and I don't like lots of Ethiopian dishes. And <laughs> it's generally around spice. I'm not really into chili. If mm. you love chili, you'll love all Ethiopian food. Um, but there's there's what's called like something like 
shakla tibs, which is basically like grilled beef. Right. Um, there's lots of dishes like that that are really nice. It's like meat and spice. That's a big meat part and of spice. It? Yeah. That, that sometimes it's raw, so mm. I'm not really into raw meat. But um, they have with a dish called kitfu, which is just raw. It's usually raw beef. Yeah. Um, but um, kind of like what's that French dish where it's mince, but it's not oh, cooked yeah, and they crack yeah. the egg on top? I can't remember what that's yeah, called. Um, it'll come to me once the podcast finishes. Yeah, yeah. probably. <laughs> yeah, but yes, this is this is just straight raw. Just get a cow, kill it, chop it up, and away you go. Really? Yeah. Really? Um, but yeah, so they, they do that. But they also have um, – the Orthodox in Ethiopia have a lot of fasting days. And what a fasting day means usually is not that you don't eat. It means you don't eat meat. Okay. Um, and so they have a lot of vegetarian dishes. I'm not a big vego eater, but the vegetarian dishes in Ethiopia, they have this thing called a tasting plate, mm-hmm. which is like about six different vegetarian dishes, and that's, that's awesome. That's mad. So if you want to go and taste a tri-Ethiopian food in Sydney, yes. there's not many places around anymore. Like COVID has killed most Ethiopian restaurants. Yeah, right. but there's one in Ashfield. Ashfield. Do you know what it's called? Uh, it's called Queen of Sheba. Queen of Sheba. Yeah. I think I've heard yeah, of that. Check before. it out there. It's, o- it's only recently opened. Oh, is it? In this year. Oh, okay. Well, definitely yeah. check that so out. So most of the others have, that I'm aware of have closed. Okay. Yeah. yeah well, we so if anyone knows of any other Ethiopian restaurants, let me know. <laughs> recommend, in Sydney, please. anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, just before we do wrap up the chips, there's one final question that we always ask everyone mm-hmm. is looking over your life, mm-hmm. and I think we've only really scratched the surface of a lot mm-hmm. of things, but what do you wish you knew um, as a younger Christian that you do mm. know now? Yeah, yeah. Look, I think um, um, we didn't really touch on this, and, and I think uh, in in that that whole time of raising young kids and um, being having a mortgage, and you know, it's it's a busy busy time of life, mm. um, and I think I put too much time into my career and working long hours um, and, and I, I have some regret over that. Um, and so I think my thinking now, if I, if I could talk to my self, younger self, it would be to be more faithful and um, to, to think more about what it wasn't just about what God wants me to do, but also what's best for my family. I think I was away from my family a bit too much with work. Um, so we always had this had this kind of deal that I'd always be home for dinner, but I was never there for breakfast. So oh, you were um, early, early, yeah, departure. I was early starter <laughs> and and early finish usually. But but yeah, you know, you yeah. So I think I was too focused on work and too focused on. Um, you know, paying off the mortgage and, um, yes, I was, a, I was a bit too obsessed with those things. Mm. Um, you know, I enjoyed work and it was fulfilling, but I think my family was, is more important than work and God is obviously more important than, mm. than, than that as well. Yeah. So, so, yeah, that would be what I'd, I think I could learn from, be a bit more faithful. Well, it's interesting you're saying be more faithful because... Mm. I feel like all the things that you've told us today on the podcast mm. have been like a real illustration of your faithfulness. Right. <laughs> because right. like you were saying then, like I really, you kept asking God, what do you want me to do? I think that's mm. a really strong sign mm. of faithfulness. I don't know if I do that yeah, anywhere right. near as much. And and you talked about like you found it hard to make decisions and things like that, or it was slower to make decisions because of research. But then mm. every time that you can think of that God said, hey, this is the moment you mm. re- respond with faithfulness rather than um, actually going, no, I'm not going to do that. So like even when it was... Yeah, like I, th- yeah I, I guess probably I could have been more proactive. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Sometimes I needed to be kind of a, a push. Yeah. But it's, sorry, I thought that I had when you said that, like in my 30s, that, that question was, what does God want me to do with my life? And, and just for the people that are not 30 and are a bit older like me, I think in my 50s that's changed a little mm. and and what it's more become is god what do you want my legacy to be oh, wow and okay, and yeah. that's it's it's a very similar question but a little more 
focusing it's towards. That's what you're thinking yeah. about now. Is you yeah, 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 definitely. Do you, what do you think your God wants your legacy to be? I, I, like I'm still working that out. Yeah, okay. so that's that's the I, I, obviously. Yeah, and you know, there's been a theme about Ethiopia. So, so Trudy and I do intend to go over mm. to Ethiopia on a more um, permanent basis. Mm. So, so there's some form of legacy there, but. Yeah. Again, please don't hear me saying that everyone has to be a missionary. That's that's mm. the goal. I think mm. I think it's fi- finding your own path as as what God wants you to do with yeah. the skills you have in the place He wants you to be, and that mm. could be anything. Mm. So we certainly didn't plan to be missionaries. Mm. It's just where God led us. Well, that's what I yeah, and that's what so I think. So being open saying. to that, leading. yeah, and I think yeah. you have been open to that, and I think that it, that's what for me has been really encouraging in this episode is that you're talking so much about, we're talking so much about faithfulness mm-hmm. and whatever mm. it is in it's mm. being faithful doesn't mean you have to be a missionary, right? No, not at all. Yeah. Not and at but, all. But, no. but it also results in being a missionary if that's what God wants you to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, that's and right. I think, and like I said, I think that's what I found really encouraging having you on the podcast is that like, find out what God wants you to do and be faithful to him Yeah, yeah. rather than, you said a couple of other things. Where you're like, I don't think I was faithful, but I think I think overall, I think you've been extremely faithful. Right. So, and it so. takes a lot to make the decision to go to originally Nigeria, but that got me yeah. to India, <laughs> and then to go to and work, do yeah. and to continually return to Ethiopia and yeah. do the work there. And I think, and you're going to do even more than that in yeah. terms of you thinking about your legacy. So. I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast. Yeah, I've enjoyed it too, Joel. Thank, thank yeah. you very much for coming. Nervous on. at the start. You were. We got there. Everyone, everyone starts nervous, but we're all just you know. It's the thing. Funniest thing is, it's the easiest thing to talk about yourself. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm an authority. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. No, and thanks um, for asking we always me, Joel. No, no worries at all. And we always finish chip lines with a one way. So if you're happy to finish off with that, we can do that. And yeah, thank sure. you to everyone listening. We're going to um, continue uh, Chip Lunches coming out. Uh, we've got an- another guest coming next week and then we'll have a little break, break over Christmas. But for this episode, thank you to Anthony. Thank you to everyone listening or watching. Thanks, everyone. One way. One way. One way.